raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Inside the Game of Politics with Pat McCrory is presented by Felix Savadas Mercedes-Benz of South Charlotte, Charlotte's premier Mercedes-Benz dealer and the Carolinas' number one volume sales leader. Over 300 new and 200 pre-owned vehicles always available. Visit mbcharlotte.com. As a governor, mayor, businessman, I know the game. Been played by the game. Now we are exposing the game for you. This is Inside the Game of Politics with Pat McRory. Our guest today is renowned businessman Felix Sabatis. Felix is a Cuban-born entrepreneur. In addition to owning Mercedes-Benz dealerships, Felix is co-owner of a NASCAR team and owns a stake in the NBA Charlotte Hornets. Felix, welcome. Honored to have you on our show. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. So our question for national leaders, and you are a national, international leader throughout the world. Especially in South Carolina. Especially in South Carolina. (laughs) And as we broadcast this podcast in North Carolina, you uh, have seen the good, the bad, and the ugly in politics as a business person. Tell me an example of the good in politics that you've witnessed, that you've been involved in, and that you've experienced. I think President Reagan is a great example of the good in politics. I mean, he he got what he needed. He was strong. He got Russia to knock the wall down in Berlin, and he did a lot for the country. Did you have a chance to meet with Ronald Reagan? He was in my house. He was in your house. Explain that. Tell us what happened. Robert Pitton used to have this... uh, a group that he would bring in of retired politicians. And, uh, this is former U.S. Congressman Robert Pittenger. Correct. <clears throat> and uh, I was one of his sponsors, and my job was to uh, send my plane to go pick him up. Then O'Brien would pick him up in my car. they come to my house to change clothes and get ready, and then go to Quail. they take him back home. So I had, I've, I had one, two, three, four, five U.S. presidents in my home. But Ronald Reagan was unique. He what? was very unique. He was he was he was fabulous. Uh, if you ask him a question, he didn't dodge it. Today in politics, very seldom you were you were one of those few that gave a straight answer. But very seldom you get a straight answer from anybody, and I mean everybody. So and Reagan gave you an answer. If you didn't like it, that's tough. But he was he was very kind to the people, and and I think. In my book, he's the best president we've had in modern times. I went to that dinner at Quail Country Club in Charlotte, North Carolina, when Ronald Reagan came. I yep. did not realize he had been at your house before. What was he like when he was in your house from a one-on-one perspective? Very funny. I mean, he had he had a lot of jokes and a lot of stories about his buddy. Like He was a big buddy with John Wayne. And he he had a lot of st- I can't say it in the podcast, but it was a lot of fun. He was, he was just an everyday guy. He was just a normal guy. He also seemed, when he walked in the room, he seemed to own the room. And he wasn't as tall as people think. I mean, he just, his posture was incredible. But he was actually, I think, just six feet tall. But he felt like you were, he felt like he was six seven. He had wide shoulders. If you look at pictures of him, he was very wide. Maybe he just sucked, sucked the air out of his stomach and put it on his shoulders or something. But he, he appears bigger than he was. What was the unique trait that Ronald Reagan 
showed you that you haven't seen in all the other presidents that have come to your house right here in Charlotte? He was he was able to get across the aisle. You know, he got his agenda pretty much done by working with both Democrats and Republicans. That doesn't happen anymore. Him and Tip O'Neill would have a beer together. Yeah. 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 Maybe they were both Irish. You know, he the one thing, he told me a story that I didn't, it sounded hard for me to believe that it happened, but it did happen because I checked it. He was in Russia, and um, the prime minister, or the, or the, the time was, I guess, prime Gorbachev. minister. Gorbachev. Yeah, Gorbachev and, and, uh, and him went for a walk, and they, they wanted to have a private conversation, so they told the Secret Service guys, take 200 yards behind. And Gorbachev spoke English perfect. I had Gorbachev also in my house. And um, anyway, long story short, they got lost, and they ended up on a side road. And the only <laughs> thing that there was was the it's a bar, a pub, and they walked in a pub, and people in that they looked at them like we know who you are, but nobody said a word to them. They said, "Do you have a phone?" Because they didn't have a. There was no cell phone in those days. They, they this used was in Russia. Yeah, in Russia. And where was all the security? They told them to stay back two, three hundred uh, feet from right. them, and. They turn left and the security must have turned right because they ended up in a bar. They had to call the Secret Service or the KBG, whoever the hell it was, to come and get them. <laughs> that is an incredible yeah. story. Yeah. You know, another reason I think Reagan probably was important to you was his anti-communism. And, oh. and real quick, you you came from Cuba when Castro was taking over Cuba. So this means a great deal to you. Yeah, because he was uh, – he understood – the political ramification of Castro. He was the first one to really impose sanctions in Cuba. Before that, they didn't do it. So he, he he understood what socialism, he understood what communism was. Which we're going to talk about in just a minute or two, because give me an example of the bad in politics. The bad in politics. I must say the liberal in Congress. You know, you take... You can be liberal, which is okay, but when you become a socialist liberal, that's one step away from being a communist. And every country that started as a socialist country, Cuba, Venezuela, Nicaragua, you know, all those countries started as socialists, and then two years later, they were communists. And I'm afraid the way our generation is going today... This is the millennial generation. The millennial generation. I, I'm afraid because most of this millennial have... You know, and I don't mean this and being disrespectful because at one time I was a millennium. We were all millennials. Yeah, we all had the answers, yeah. didn't we? Yeah. yeah. They, 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 they just call us hippies in those days. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there are plenty of jobs out there. People are making money. People are living better today than they were 10 years ago, but they don't realize that. You know, and all they do is listen to these far-left uh, socialist uh, politicians if we keep going in this direction, if the, if the Senate turns the same way the Congress is and we have a socialist president, I promise you, we will be a semi, we, we'll never be full communist, but we will be more on the communist side than we are in the Democrat side. From your experience in Cuba, what's the dangers of that? Because I don't think the 28-year-olds understand, and, and frankly, I don't think a lot of baby boomers, my generation, understand, much less Gen X. Well, it's simple. You know, it's one thing for everybody, except the government employees. You know, everybody's going to get paid the same amount of money. If you want to go to a doctor, you might have to wait six months. You die of a heart attack, 
you're going to die of a heart attack at the hospital. They don't want to have anybody to take care of you. So there are a lot of things in this country that are wrong that need to be fixed. And I agree with, with that. But what some of these people are proposing in Washington today, that's not fixing, that's destroying the country. In Cuba, what would happen also under socialism or communism if you disagreed with something, if there was dissent? Like AOC is dissenting against our government. She'd have been shot already in Cuba. If she was on the other side and she did or said the thing that she did, she'd have been incarcerated and killed in jail. You know this personally because you had friends of yours and you were almost killed when you were a teenager in Cuba. I was in a truck. There were 12 of us. And my father... And the bishop found out that I was in that truck. They stopped the truck to get me out of it. And a mile down the road, the other 11 guys that were left in the truck got killed. So I know what it feels like. They and got killed really minutes later? Yeah, maybe five minutes later. Why did your dad take you out of the truck? Because he knew that things were going to turn ugly if we went up to the mountain to fight against Castro. And that's where we were heading. We went to the hills to go fight against Castro, which was pretty stupid. But we were just young. You know, we were 15, 16, 17 year old. We didn't know any better. We thought we were doing the right thing for Cuba. And when, in fact, nobody could do anything for Cuba. Think about it. Castro was the longest dictator ever in the history of the universe. He was there for, he took over in 1960, and he died two years ago. So figure that out. Will, will, uh, will socialists sustain in Cuba or anywhere else? Does it remain once it's instituted? It's hard to go back. You can't, you can't go back because they take away, you know, the way it works, they take away your properties little by little. You know, all of a sudden you have nothing and you're working for the government. And the government's not going to give you anything back. I mean, the same thing happened in Venezuela. In Venezuela, the only people that have money is the generals that support Maduro. And the reason they still supported him because he controls all the money they got overseas. You've said something to me in the past that's kind of interesting about socialism, and that is there's actually racism within socialism. Big time. And I mentioned this to you before. How many of those countries, you, you name them all, forget China because China is, is in the other end of the world, but Russia, how many of those countries have any Africans, American? oh no, excuse me, any blacks in power? None, zero. There's not a single person of color in Cuba that has any authority. And yet there's a lot of African-Americans living there. Well, no, no, African-Americans. But, but people of color in yeah. Cuba. There's a lot of them. The population of Cuba probably was 50%, or close to 50% blacks and whites. But we all got along. See, when I came to America, I had a hard time understanding the animosity toward the black people. I mean, really, because I grew up... I mean, I didn't know, I knew you were a different color than mine, but that was it. You were a person, you were a person. You were a good person, you were a good person. You were a bad right. person, you were a bad person. Regardless of color. But Content of, of character. Color. But the communists, they don't like blacks. And you, name me one person in any of this country that I name that is in power, none. That was a new learning for me when you told me that. And I don't yeah. think the liberal Democrats, the elite liberals... Are talking about the AOCs of the world don't bring that up because they're too stupid. <laughs> they don't do they, they don't do the homework. You know, like like Kamala Harris, for instance, she knows because we had a black president in the United States, and she thought it was her great. heritage is from the Caribbean. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. She yeah. she knows 
Okay? She would be the type of person that could stop some of the cuckoos from the other side, but just too liberal for me to begin with. But they just don't think that anybody of color or different race that they are can be empowered in the government. None of them. The good in politics, you gave an example of Ronald Reagan who actually came to your house. The ugly of uh, the bad of politics is uh, socialism. What's the ugly of politics that we ought to be worried about? Old 480 congressmen and 100 senators. That's the ugly politics. Do they drink the Kool-Aid too quick the minute they get there? They get the Kool-Aid of their own party and they get nothing accomplished. I mean, you know, the, 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 the Democrats want to wipe out the Republican. The Republican wants to wipe out the Democrats. Meanwhile, we are suffering because nothing, no laws are being passed. Nothing that makes sense is going to get passed. And rather than just fight with each other, why can't they just do? I mean, even Clinton got those, both sides to talk to each other. And he accomplished a lot in his, in his uh, second term. You can't keep going the way we're going because nothing is going to pass. The worst thing that ever happened is to have all those investigations by the House. You know, they, had, they, they hire a prosecutor, ex-head of the FBI, Mueller, to go do the investigation. He investigated for two years. And he had unlimited resources. And FBI agents are competent human beings that know what they were looking for. You mean to tell me all those bozos and all those committees, whether they're Republican or Democrat, know anything about anything? No, they don't know anything. But they are piecing the liberal side or there, and the other side is a piece in the conservative side. So why can't it? I mean, it just I, to me, that's the ugliest thing that is happening. If we don't fix that, the social are going to take over. Why are the people who give money, including you, you've donated to a lot of political campaigns. You get letters from everyone. So yeah. do your peers who have been very successful business people throughout this nation. Where is the the class of individuals who give donations contributing to this or not contributing to this continued increase in partisanship? Well, unfortunately, that's the way it is in this country. You're either for it or you're against it. You can't be in between. And I've always believed that, I've told you before, there's a yeah. left, there's a right, and there's the middle. You know, and, and the middle can get more accomplished on the left or the right. And there's no purity on either side. There's no, God, no. No, I, I saw an article the other day that if they really wanted to investigate anything, they should investigate themselves. The $17 million that Congress paid in the last five years to keep uh, females from bringing charge against congressmen. You know, they had the slush fund, which nobody talks about it. And I asked, I asked one of my congressmen, I said, tell me about the slush fund. He said, I don't know anything about it. I said, fine. The next time you call it for a donation, I'm going to say, I don't know anything about it either. And then he explained to me what it is. They had this fund that, and they've had it forever. So, you, this, you know, they've been both sides, Democrats right. and Republicans and Independents, right. that have tapped that fund. But $17 million is a lot of money in hush money. Not only that, it's 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 unethical. Yep. Regardless of the moral implications, it's unethical to use someone else's money to try to solve your issues. One thing about Trump, now I don't agree with his moral stance on paying off whoever he paid off, but I assume it's his money. You know, in my opinion, what he did was wrong. But that's just between him and his wife and God. The country doesn't have to get involved with that. I mean, he didn't break any laws. 
I don't think. They're trying to make it look like he broke the law as campaign contribution, but let's show the check that he wrote himself. So he wrote the checks himself. I mean, how is that breaking the law? He didn't take the campaign funds to pay for that. And if the Democrats overdo that, like the Republicans overdid Clinton, yeah, well, the people do react. Yep. Yep. As we conclude, what's your outlook for our nation? I'm very pessimist. I really am. I think in, now talking about breaking up all those big tech giants, I agree that they have to do something with them because they're getting out of hand. But to break the company up just for the sake of you know, create more competition, nobody. I don't care how many times they break Google up, nobody's going to be able to compete with them. In the same way with Amazon. I mean, you don't have to go to Amazon. They have eight or nine other companies that are doing the same thing they do. But when they start talking about breaking up all the... And, and, and then Ocasio-Ortiz asking the CEO of Wells Fargo two days oh. ago <laughs> about the pipeline. All they did was lend the money to build the pipeline. They did. It wasn't the pipeline. By the way, she then got out, got in her SUV to go back home. (laughs) (laughs) Felix Sabatis, uh, you bring wisdom to the show and to our country. And I think one of the issues we have with the millennials, and I love the millennials. My nephews and nieces are all millennials. But I got five grandkids. We all had the answers at that age, but we didn't believe we had wisdom. And the difference is you got to get experience to have wisdom and have good and bad times. And you saw friends of yours die in Cuba. Yep. That's where you start getting wisdom at a young age. You know, my father used to tell me, he said, the devil knows more because he's old than he knows because he's the devil. Think about that one. This is Pat McCrory. Thanks to Felix Sabatis. Thanks for listening to Inside the Game of Politics with Pat McCrory. To contact the show, Email Pat McCrory Show at WBT.com. You can hear more from Pat every weekday morning from 8 to 10 on News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT or at WBT on Radio.com. Monday, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor, we're going to trial. Simone Misick is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench. Everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, Monday at 9, 8 central on CBS.